Rachel grew in to who she became. Like she evolved, her speaking evolved, her confidence evolved, her re her understanding of her platform and the importance of what it is she said and how she said it, that evolved. And she stepped into the role that I think God had for, for her. This is the CBF Podcast Conversations. Each week, we are bringing you stories from across the world of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and creativity from practitioners, ministers, thinkers, authors, and more. I'm Andy Hale, your podcast host. We're excited about another year of delivering interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. This platform is not designed for you to listen on an island unto yourself. Share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Tucker, Georgia. Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, California, and Sydney, Australia. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Cynthia Foldendorf, Bill Johnson, Ralph Stocks, and that anonymous person that keeps giving a gift in honor of CBF Prime. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our three annual sponsors, the Center for Congregational Health, McAfee School of Theology Doctorate and Ministry Program and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And now, on to our conversation. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health, whose mission is to help faith communities and their leaders thrive. Healthy congregations can transform their communities to be more compassionate, faithful, and just. Utilizing a network of highly skilled coaches, consultants, and intentional interim ministers, the Center supports congregations and ministry leaders to address the challenges they face. Visit their website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about how the Center can be your trusted partner in ministry. Our guest for this week's CBF Podcast Conversation is Matthew Paul Turner. Matthew is a photographer, writer, journalist, and avid tweeter. He has written several best-selling children's books, including When I Pray for You, When God Made You, When God Made Light. He has also written for USA Today, The Washington Post, National Geographic, and Relevant. He now can add to his list of accomplishments, the rarefied twofer club, that's guests who've appeared two times on the CBF podcast. Matthew, thank you for joining the conversation again. <laughs> thank you. I, I want to know, is avid tweeter, is that, is that, a, is that a good thing? <laughs> I think so. I mean, uh, oh, okay. Okay, you know, as a person, as a person who appreciates uh, your tweets and noticing wow. that there are, you know, literally thousands of people who also do so, I would say that you you could fall in the rank of avid tweeter. I, I just, I, you know, when I pull out the Twitter app, I like there's nothing really profound. I feel like I need to say, and if I do say something profound, that's typically what people don't respond to. It's the stuff that I think is not important that people do respond to. So right, right. 
No, and Twitter is certainly, it's, it's evolved in how we use it over the years, for sure. Um, and I, but I just, I had to laugh when I heard, you know, like when you were like talking about like my, my bio or whatever, I was like avid tweeter right there in the middle of it. It just, it just was funny. Yeah. I like well, yeah. Friend, friend of Thank the you. program, Zach Hunt, the first time we had him on, I had the first question I asked him is, what is it like being blocked by Donald J. Trump on Twitter? And uh, <laughs> so. I, you, you know that Zach is like, he's one of my best friends. Like, and I, I like love that, love that man. And I am constantly, constantly giving him a hard time for how much he tweets. Like, I mean, like I give him such grief. <laughs> My only issues with Zach, and I will take this up. Actually, we have an interview scheduled for next week uh, together. Um, I'm just not with him on barbecue. Uh, his barbecue perspectives are, we do not hold those truths to be uh, to be equal and sacred and relevant to each oh, other. So. Well, 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 he will he will fight you to the death. And like, just so you know, like, I mean, I mean, he, I love Zach because he loves meat. I've never met anybody who loves, who's more of a carnivore and loves being a carnivore <laughs> more than Zach. <laughs> I just love it. He's like the best. So, yes. Well, you know, a lot has changed uh, since our January, 2020 interview. Um, what have you been up to? And anything of significance to report? <laughs> well, how much, how, like, how much do you want me to talk to you about? Um, because yes, like lots has, lots has changed. Um, I came out, um, I came out as gay last summer, um, 2020, July, July 17th. So we're coming up on almost a year. Um, and you know, when we, you know, in full disclosure, when we talked, it was certainly already something that, um, that I, you know, Jessica and I um, were talking about and working through and in crisis mode um, over. And so um, it certainly, last 2020 was a was a weird year for all of us and it was you know certainly had layers of difficulties for my family that um that were you know somewhat um unique for us and so like you know coming out publicly um you know seeing your story get turned into a a six word headline and, you know, shared in Christian media and shared in gay media and shared in, um, you know, some, some just media. Um, so it was a weird, it was a weird season and I had to back away from it all for a, a good six weeks. Um, but I, I have felt, it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Um, and I have felt loved, I have felt affirmed, I have felt joy. Um, I no longer walk, I, don't, I no longer wake up every day walking around in a fog. Mm. Um, I no longer wake up every day being half of who or being a, per, a small percentage of what I know I am 
know God made me to be. And I no longer walk around without my, with my kids not knowing who I am and without my family knowing who I am. They no, no, my family, my, my extended family, my parents and my sisters, they don't, they don't like who I am, but <laughs> so, so that's, that adds another layer of problems. But for the most part, for the, the, the majority of this journey, it has been so hard, but there's been so much love and so much grace and so much peace in the process. And so, so yes. Yeah. And in the middle Wait. of it, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In the middle of that <laughs> global pandemic, you know, right. Um, right. You know, so I can imagine 2020 was a year of both uh, a sense of liberation, a sense of freedom, and at the same time, um, you know, a sense of anxiety of, of all these things. And anxiety ever, and, and yeah. pain, like, and difficulty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because, like, you, there, you know, there are things that you have, like, sat with and feared for so long that that, that the fear that the, the fear of the thing is, has become bigger and a more of a monster than the actual thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I had, I had conjured up monsters and, you know, all around this, um, me being gay. And so it was a process to get to the point where I could say it out loud to a whole bunch of people I don't know. Um, and it was, you know, I, I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to defeat all the monsters, but I had to get through some of them to know that I would, would be able to survive. And I, and Jessica, she, Jessica helped me through that. Jessica, Jessica was, has been with me and has been a, a, um, a support and continues to be my best friend, even as we end our marriage. Um, she she deserves to she deserves to you know a part of the a part of the bravery is hers so yeah and jessica of course being being your wife you know for right. for you as a professional children's author you know um we were talking about this a little bit before we actually started the the interview just talking about there's a certain, you know, expectation, there's a certain image, there's a certain ideal that for some reason people have about children's authors. Um, you know, here you are as um, you know, 30 something year old man uh, with 40 wife. something, 40, 40 something. I'm being, I'm being you're generous. Be, you're you know. very kind. You're very kind, but 40 you know, something. <laughs> but, you know, for, you know, two, two children, a very successful children's author. And then, um, you know, you, you are living into who, who you are, you know, I wonder if you might share, you know, not necessarily, I don't want to give, um, I don't want to give a platform to those that are just trolls, but what that experience is like going through that again, because there is this like certain ideal and expectation of what people have for, you know, quote children's author. And, you know, before, you know, uh, the summer, um, you know, you kind of fit into that almost picturesque look, you know, you've, you've got the picture, you know, I remember your one of your old picture. You got the picture with the sweater on. You know, everybody's smiling. You know, this is the ideal children's author. And then, and then you're living into who you are. How how has that changed for some people? How have some people responded to you, both in a positive way and maybe an inquisitive way? Um, 
there there were a multitude of hateful, unkind, all caps responses to me when I when it when I first made the announcement. Um, I got called. I got called sodomite more. I mean, it's like more in like a two to three, four or five day time period than I've even ever used the word my whole entire life. <laughs> like it just like people, people from a certain um, area of religion love that word. Um, and I, I, my, my, my picture and my story got put on, um, you know, anti anti um, LGBTQ sites and used as fundraising possibility, you know, like fundraising um, lures um, for their audiences. And I, it was a, it was weird. And I didn't engage any of it. Like I, I didn't engage any of it in real time. I had friends and family or <clears throat> I had, some really good friends who sort of like, who are like my family kind of take over my social media and handle all, you know, just how, how all of those things were being handled. Um, and so like, so that I could just like not engage it. Um, it wasn't until later where I just sort of went back and, and kind of like looked through bits and pieces, just a tiny bit, just to get a picture of it. Um, because I think that sometimes when you're trying to walk through a really hard thing and you avoid, avoid some of the very real hatred that you, uh, that you experience in those moments, like you, not that I wanna sit in other people's, self, or, or other people's hatred of me, but I do want to know that it exists and I wanna know how it exists because I wanna feel it because I know that that is a very real thing and being a children's book author, having, a, having books that have sold you know, lots and lots of copies and knowing, like I, I, pictured, I pictured there being like sacrificial book burnings, Andy. Like, I mean, I just like, I, and I got a couple people who said, you know, we should burn his books, but like, they didn't know who, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know, like all of the people who were hateful didn't know anything about me or anything about my books. Um, the people like I, I have still, I don't think, I don't believe I have received one email from a fan that has been anything less than kind, supportive, affirming, um, gracious. Like it really, like it's been, it's been shocking and surprising and beautiful to see to what degree people who know me and people who know my books and know my work, like to how much they have embraced me. Um, and, and embrace Jessica, um, you know? And so after four or five days, the, you know, I did the hatred, um, you know, from the, the trolls, they, they, it, it went away. It's, it sort of died down. I mean, I, once in a great while, I'll get an email. Um, I'll get an email from somebody somewhere and it's, you know, it's just some unkind, gross 
um, reflection of their own self-hatred that they project onto me. And, and that's okay. That's, I mean, I, I can, I can deal with that. Let's change gears a little bit. Um, you have a new book out co-authored with the late Rachel Held Evans entitled, what is God like before we get to the book? Um, let's talk about Rachel. Uh, you have a friendship that goes way back. Um, most of us know her from her writing and her speaking, but what would you want people to know about the person behind the words and wisdom? Oh, maybe, yeah. And try to, try to capture that. <laughs> you know, we could talk about that for hours, but you know, yeah, that's somewhat of an unfair question, you know, knowing all the other questions we'll get to. Yeah. You know what? Rachel was a, was a gift. Like she was so darn funny and so supportive and kind and positive. Um, she, um, she was very much the person, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't, there was very, there was certainly some things that she allowed me to see as her friend, you know, like that she um, wouldn't put out there in public spaces, but like, you know, um, she, and that, that most of the time that was when she was like overly frustrated or overly hurt or over, you know, those are the things that she allowed people to see. Um, Rachel, what I want people to know is Rachel, when I first met her was, shy. Um, she was uh, quiet. She was less certain of her, um, her talent. Rachel grew in to who she became. Like she evolved. Her speaking evolved. Her confidence evolved. Her, re her understanding of her platform and the importance of what it is she said and how she said it that evolved and she stepped into the role that I think God had for for her um, she stepped into it and she said yes and she had to say yes over and over and over again and she had to say lots and lots of uncomfortable yeses in order to become the Rachel that most of, you know, that most of her fans grew to know. Um, you know, when she, the person that I watched give a speech at the Evolving Faith Conference in 2018 was not, I mean, it was, but it wasn't exactly the same Rachel that I met in 2009 um, at, a, at a book festival in Nashville. Um, and so it was, like I went up to her. I mean, it's like, it was so weird. Cause I, I went up to her specifically after that show. And I was like, I can't tell you how incredible it is to watch, watch you grow into this force. Like she grew into a force of nature that was used in ways that she never imagined when she was, you know, the new writer, you know, going around trying to get people to endorse her first book, Evolving in Monkey Town. And so she, um, 
She was also absolutely hilarious. And I think that's part, like, though, you know, there are certainly, her humor comes through in books for sure. But she was hilarious um, in, in person and just personally and, and, um, and, and, and yeah, I, I literally, I could spend the whole time talking about Rachel because I just, there's so much I could say and she was a beautiful person. You know, this book was in mere draft form when she got sick and hospitalized and passed in May of, of 2019. So, so how does a writer such as yourself and someone who is friends with the author come alongside incomplete work and try to finish it? Um, I, 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 <laughs> I had to think about it. Um, you know, it, uh, when I first, like I want, I think the first thing was, is I needed to ask the right people if I was the right person for this, for this responsibility. Um, you know, I, I, I was, a, I'm a white guy. Rachel was all about elevating voices of color, voices that um, were, that are often forgotten um, or left out in church spaces. Um, and I wanted to make sure that that it was okay for me to take on this work. Um, and so like I had lengthy conversations with Dan um, and lengthy conversations with a, a, new, a number of Rachel's good and dearest friends. Um, and they all gave me their blessing. And so I had to sit with it. I had to sit with her words and I had to ask um, the one thing that Dan, the, the gift that Dan gave me, because I, my, at first thought they, there was, there was conversation about us, uh, them wanting me to like have Rachel's words and then have my words. And so there'd be like two different voices. And R Dan was like, absolutely not. I give you permission to write in one voice. Um, and I wanted that voice to be Rachel. And so it was my job to get into that headspace, get into that, um, that, that feeling, that spirit um, where I could kind of lose a little bit of what I bring to the writing table um, and embrace this idea in Rachel's voice. And I, and I, and, and it was, you know, it took a couple months for me to kind of like feel that and see that and experience that. And I, you know, there, there were a couple of times where I swear I felt like I was channeling her. I mean, I wasn't doing any kind of like weird stuff. Like it was just me sitting by myself and thinking, how do I say this? How do I do this? Like, how would Rachel want me to do it? And so like, I wanted, cause I really hoped that I would be able to write this book, um, finish this book and, and that, and not be, and people for, for people to read it and not think, oh my gosh, Matthew Paul Turner, man, that guy. Yeah, you know, I wanted them to be, like, wow. That was like Rachel just gave me a hug, or, or that was like God giving me a hug through Rachel's words, and and so that's that's what I'm, that's what I hope that I was able to do. Um, and you know, I knew her. You know, I mean, I, I, I knew Rachel and I knew her heart. Um, 
And so that certainly helped helped create the space. The other thing is, is that there wasn't any, you know, we, we, had, we had Rachel's words for adults. We didn't have Rachel's words for her children. And so there was, um, there was a little bit of freedom in that because like, I don't, there was nothing for me to compare it. There was no one, there's nothing for anyone to compare it to, you know, because she had never written for children before. Um, and so that, that was a freedom um, in the sense that it, it gave me, it made it less, um, it made it less scary because I, I could, it's like Dan says, we have no idea what kind of, what book Rachel would have written in the end. Like, we don't know if, I mean, we know that this book reflects Rachel's heart, we, or Rachel's passions. But Rachel's book, if she had written it and I wasn't involved, like, we don't, like, it could have been looked very differently. But my hope is that she would look at this book and she would say, yeah, that reflects who I am and that reflects what I believe and what I hope the world will, will, will one day, you know, embrace and see about God. Are you interested in theological education, but not ready or able to commit to a fully Master of Divinity degree? BSK now offers two certificates that focus on general ministry training. The Exploring Ministry Certificates, Levels 1 and 2, will be available beginning this fall, including course options such as Introduction to Pastoral Care, The Black Church in America, and an Invitation to Christian Theology. These certificates provide options for your area of interest. BSK certificates only require students to take three courses, and certificates count towards the Master of Divinity. If you or someone you know is interested in learning more about these certificates, visit bsk.edu. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. Tell me about the artist, uh, Ying Hu Tan. Yeah, Ying Hui Tan, like uh, she's from Malaysia. And we found, we found uh, Ying Hui from uh, an agency in New York that I have worked with before. Um, and I was we were given so many artists and it, it was just really difficult for me to kind of like, for us to find something that really, find somebody who really seemed to reflect the whimsy and imagination and joy that we were hoping this book would convey. Um, and then we saw Ying Wei's work and it was just, um, and it blew us away to watch the, to watch her take our words. Like we had one conversation with her at the beginning of the project and we've talked a lot since then, but we had one lengthy conversation at the beginning of the project and to watch 
her art for this book evolved from these pencil drawings to these vivid, beautiful, like imaginative um, reflections of our words. Like it just, it, that, was a, that was an experience in and of itself to, like, to see this all come together. Um, because I, I, like, there were moments in it where I was like, I don't know if this is gonna work. I don't know if this is gonna work. And I was wrong every time. I was wrong every single time. And it just, um, it, she, uh, Hyung Wee is um, just talented beyond my understanding. So. So I wonder, uh, you know, this book is, is 40 pages of, of dazzling artwork and words. And it's a, it's a fabulous story that invites readers to consider how, how we might discover how God expresses God's self in the world and in our lives. And, and I picked a few excerpts from the book that I'd love for us to discuss. Um, mm -hmm. The book declares God is like the stars, forever present and bright. Even when they feel far away, you can always look up and see them winking at you. As a, as a children's author, uh, how do you get into the mindset of a child, the, the way that a child thinks and, and write in a way that connects deeply with them? I connect with the child in me, dude. Like I have to, I, I, uh, Andy, I, I have to, like, I can't, um, I mean, I certainly always hope that I'm going to connect with my children and they are, they are what inspire me to write. But when it comes down to actually the process of doing it, I, I have had, I have to connect with the child in me that the one who, the one who sees and feels and experiences all the things and has, has experienced all the things since I was little. Um, and I, and usually, usually when I am, when I can connect with that child and connect with what hurt that child, what hurt, what heals that kid, what the hopes that that kid had to let go and the dreams that kid still chases. Like when I can connect that, the connect to him, um, it's quite often that I'm able to connect with the, um, the children of, in, in, in all of us, like, I mean, or in many of us. Um, and so, but uh, the one thing that I, because I did not, I mean, because this book wasn't necessarily um, about the kid in me, um, this is about Rachel. Um, I, I asked all of Rachel's, um, <clears throat> many of Rachel's close friends, to offer ideas, like, because I needed to fill in some gaps. I wanted it to be a, a little bit of a communal experience for me to fill in some of the, just the big ideas. I just like, I didn't want them to like, I didn't, wasn't gonna ask them to like, you know, write the line for me, but I wanted, I wanted to say, if Rachel hadn't put, you know, God is like a shepherd, I, want, I wanted ideas like that. Um, and one of Rachel's friends, um, came up with the concept of God is like the stars. Um, and, and I just sat with that and I thought like, wow, how does that, 
what does that say about God? How would a child embrace that? So um, it was a real, it was a little bit of a different experience for this book, but usually for me, connecting with what, connecting with kids is connecting with the kid in me. Some, some might say that I'm a uh, professional child. Uh, you know, <laughs> you and I were once uh, children. Do you remember some of the theological assumptions or questions you had about God when you were five, six, or seven years old? Um, I wanted to know what God, it was, <laughs> was God watching me go to the bathroom? I mean, I like I thought about that for a really <laughs> way more than you would think. Was God watching me sit in the bathtub? Was God watching, you know, me, you know, uh, put rocks in my father's, you know, in, into the gas tank of my father's like old beat up truck? Like those kinds of things. Like I had such a, I was very, had a very vivid imagination. So God, like, to be handed this story of God being uber involved in my life and not being all that happy with anything that we were doing. That was, that was what I was brought up in. Um, like I, like that played, that played out in such vivid ways in my imagination. So my, like I, you know, theology was not a thing that I was given very much. I was given fear like I had this real fear of hell like I mean like sometimes it was you know I like it like you could I could really feel it and like it gave me anxiety very very I, I mean very real fear and sense of Satan like I mean it just it was very different I was raised I had Barbies and I think we talked about this I had Barbies burned in front of me to explain hell as a second grader mm. So it was, um, you know, and I was a feeler. Um, I'm an Enneagram four and I like, I feel deeply, um, I experience things, you know, with a lot of, um, with a lot of creativity. And so my imagination can sometimes take it and run. Um, and it did as a kid um, because I didn't, you know, I didn't fully understand like the difference between reality and imagination when, you know, when, because like some of the things that were in my imagination were very much things that they sort of like coincided with things that I learned in Sunday school. The magic, the, 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 the unbelievable events. Those the book asserts God is like three dancers, graceful and precise. They move to the same music in very different ways, showcasing all of God's elegance and rhythm in your life. Take us a little deeper here. <laughs> the, the, when you think about the triune God, the, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, God, the Son, and, and all the ways that we have imagined those, those ideas. Um, Rachel, I don't think I realized that this was the line if it, it like I, I was really trying to not to take any line out of, of Rachel's idea I didn't want to change you know I, I wanted to change very little of what Rachel had outlined and but this was like the 
when we when I got to the God is like three dancers, like it felt so different from everything else that we had already said. Um, and it wasn't until I was really into the book that I fully began to appreciate the dance that Rachel was projecting here. And of course, um, and 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 I'm so sorry, Andy. I don't remember the name. There's a there's a name for this concept. There is it. it I did not know this going in to this conversation uh, or to writing this book, but of course Rachel did. Rachel, like Rachel was just brilliant when it comes, when it came to like knowing these kinds of things. And so this was this, um, there is this way of thinking that has been around for thousands of years that, that thinks of the God or the Trinity engaging each other in a dance or in a rhythm or in a, um, in a constant give and take, ebb and flow, like, you know, it's, it, it's so there's, the, there's lots of imagery on the, on the internet. And honestly, I don't know how, when I look at my, when I look at these imagery and this, this imagery, and this is one of the things that I would love to go and talk to the, uh, talk to Ying Wei about because like, I, maybe she Googled, <laughs> but I don't know how she would have Googled this, but like, the imagery she presented here, there are pictures people have painted throughout history that reflect very much what is on this book. Um, and, you know, she like, so I'm very, very uh, excited to actually have that conversation with her because um, this is just a, how does, how does God work in our life? How does the spirit of God work in our life? What does Jesus, how does Jesus work in our life and how, how can they all work together, but yet do it differently and it's a dance and when you start to sit with that and you think about it like it it it, it really begins to sing and make sense because like when i was a kid i was told that the trinity that i would think needed to think of that like like an egg that god was like an egg <laughs> and um where there was a hard shell that was God the Father and there was a yoke that was Jesus and then there was the Holy Spirit that was the white. Um, and that just, like, that made no sense to me. Like, it was so, like, flat. But God is like three dancers. I can get that. I can see that. I can, I can feel that. And so... Um, I wrote all, I wrote this out, like it, Rachel had the, you know, the God is like three dancer part, but I wrote the rest without knowing that it was, <laughs> it was an actual thing. Thankfully, um, I don't know how, thankfully, may, maybe my editors like kept me in check. I'm not sure, but like, thankfully I got the, I got the gist of the idea right. Um, I didn't change it. Um, and so it really was a, it's a beautiful way to think about our understanding of the triune God. There's one more quote I want us to, to navigate. Um, that's a very big question. When the people from places all over the world throughout all of time have answered in many different ways, keep searching, keep wondering, keep learning from God. You and I both grew up in an evangelical tradition that demanded that God be defined in these certain terms and theological understandings. And, and to go outside of such thoughts as a surefire way to find yourself in hell 
um, and certainly ostracized maybe from the faith community. I, I wonder how the, the theological convictions of other faith traditions has enhanced your understanding of God. Um, y- yes. Um, it, it, <clears throat> uh, we have, when you get outside of our, our country, and you start to see the way other people engage God, engage God's story, and whether it is the Christian God or the Muslim God, the Jewish God, the, the Hindu gods, and the, and the Buddhism, or engage the spirit with, you know, using Buddhism. Like it's, um, <clears throat> I mean, we're doing a lot of the same things. Like we're, we're, there's very, there are practices that are so similar. Like I remember when I was in India, I was with the the story of God with Morgan Freeman, and I, um, they we were going to watch a Hindu priest cast out demons out of this person's life. Now that sounded very grandiose, like that was a, a that was a really grandiose thing. Okay, now what happened is that they would this person would sit across from. A priest and the priest would go through a um, a series of actions using you know incense and um, and uh, and leaves and 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 things that things that were very tangible and <clears throat> and it would be a long conversation that he would have with these people and, and they would go through a process and eventually they would come they would create over a series of of, of hours would create this 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 thing, this tangible thing that to them symbolized the, the wrongdoing in their life, the, the, the evil in their life, the thing in their life. And then they took it and they nailed that thing to the tree. And I was like, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, like how many times have I written down my sin in, in a youth group? and taken it up and I nailed it to the cross. <laughs> and those seeing those experiences and kind of comparing it to how I was raised, like it was, it just, it made everything less scary. And I, when I thought about Rachel and when I first met her, Rachel was asking questions from the minute I made, I, she and I became friends. Like that was, that was her thing. And she was afraid of asking questions in the beginning. Like she, then it took her a little while to kind of ease into it. But like, she was, she was like, it was, it was a really big deal. She was asking questions and she was afraid that they weren't going to accept her or people, you know, all these things. And, and I'm like, what if we, what if questions, what if asking questions, like real deep theological questions was just a part of believing, just a part of the faith process. Um, how how could that how could that help us how could that give time and space to kids to um to feel things and the freedom to feel things and also the freedom to believe things when it when it was there when it when it when it was worth believing and i think that it would be if we 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 have we you and i surrounded our faith our faith was was more fear than faith I mean, it was it really like at the end of the day, like we we called it faith, 
but it was like, I'm scared not to believe this, or I'm scared to not do this, or I'm scared, you know, to enjoy this. Um, and that was, uh, that was so much of our faith. Um, I think that when we introduce God within the space and an environment where questions and doubts and thoughts and wonders and worries and beliefs are welcomed where it's safe to be who you're supposed who you were made to be and to engage God the way God made you to engage God when that's when it's safe we we have the the freedom to um we take fear out of the equation and um and that's a that's a beautiful thing to give the gift of like that's what I want my kids I want my kids to be able to roll their eyes at something that might feel very sacred and it might offend me a little bit. I want them to have the freedom to roll their eyes at it and say, I just don't get that. Because I don't want them to be, I don't want, I don't want them ever to be afraid and mix up and mistake that fear with faith. The book is, what is God like? available now wherever books are sold. If you want to stay connected with Matthew, visit matthewpaulturner.com. Check out his 280 character diatribes on social media. Matthew, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. It's always good to, to have you on. Uh, we're grateful for your beautiful and yet challenging work of finishing the story begun by one of our generation's greatest writers and thinkers. This podcast is presented to you by McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University, who exists to train ministers who inspire the church and the world to imagine, discover, and create God's future. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, the McAfee School of Theology offers doctoral and master's degree programs, including a fully online Master of Divinity degree, the only fully online MDiv offered by a national research university. You can visit their webpage, theology.mercer.edu, to learn more about their programs and scholarships. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF's podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, the Center for Congregational Health, and McAfee School of Theology's Doctorate of Ministry program. Check out cbf.net for more information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. Oh, and I don't think we've mentioned this, that you should join the listener community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.